Hi there. This is how we will experience music in the future. My name is Kristen Bender. I am the Senior Product Manager of Music at Sonos. We are a 10-year-old company, wireless, high-fidelity home audio. We believe that we are contributing to building the future of music consumption and contributing to that experience. And I will let our panelists introduce themselves. Hi, my name is Max Weisel. I run a small software company in San Francisco. We build iOS apps for recording artists. Um, our last project was a small set of apps for, a, for an artist named Bjork, and we wrote an app for every song on her album. Is that it? <laughs> um, <laughs> There's more to Max. Yeah, can, you'll, you'll find out as yeah, we go. Feel free to talk to me afterwards <laughs> if you want to know more. My name's Dave Allen. Uh, maybe a few of you know me as the uh, founding member of Gang of Four. But I've been involved in technology for quite a long time now. Actually, my independent label back in 93 was the first independent label to have a website. And I've always been really intrigued ever since. I became an early member of emusic.com uh, just as we took it public and, you know, the world's first paid download company. That crashed and burned with Napster coming along. But I see that as the obvious end of everything. Web companies are not made to last. I've been a digital strategist for a very long time. I currently live in Portland, Oregon, where I'm a director at a branding company worrying about digital. And uh, I'm an adjunct professor at the University of Oregon teaching brand strategy to young people, which is fascinating. That's why I'm kind of really happy to be sitting alongside Max here. And I think that's everything. Hello. My name is Malta. I am VP of Product at RDO. I have not as an illustrious backstory as my friend here. I was a creative director at Skype since the beginning and for quite a few years before this and used to be based in London, now happily based out here, glorious California. Great. So, you know, we had an interesting discussion earlier when we were preparing for the panel and, you know, when it comes to how we experience music in the future, you know, we really were talking about two different areas, creation and consumption. So my question for the panelists, and I'll let either of you, any of you speak, five years from now, what does the most practical experience look like? What is the best experience with least resistance when it comes to both the creation, discovery, and consumption of music? Dave. Oh, hey. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming. I could see the ball rolling down the table. You know, uh, I, I've written extensively about the idea of the future of music, and, um, and I, I always start out the essays with the, the notion that it is absolutely ridiculous to try and predict anything in the future when it comes to te technological forms. I think it's more interesting to look backwards and look at history and see what's happened. You know, the idea, actually, that the music industry has been destroyed by the the internet is based on everyone thinking that there's a new technology arrives so suddenly everything's broken but there's been consistent technological innovations throughout the world in history so I don't know where everything's pointing to what I'm more interested in is how we can get to a place where First of all, artists continue to be able to um, create and find a way around the, the business and technology model that can help them continue creating. You know, what we're burdened with, what we're really saddled with is, is 
record company contracts and, and publishing contracts, for instance, that stop innovation in a weird way. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having your copyrights protected. There's nothing wrong with working with a company, a, a label. Like I, My catalog is on Warner Brothers and, and EMI Records, for instance. That's all fine, but it's a real pain in the ass because when you have new technologies coming along, they are trying to find a way to get their hands on that catalog, and musicians don't tend to have a piece of that pie necessarily. We're left out of most of the discussions. We're not in the room when label catalogs are licensed. A license, by the way, is under the terms of our contract that we signed back in the late 70s, early 80s, it's a 50% deal. So if the label licenses anything of our catalog, we end up only receiving 50% of the royalties. Now, no offense, Malta, but if RDO pays out based on some arrangement with EMI and Warner Brothers that has our catalog on it, and the streaming rates are pretty low, I end up getting a statement in the mail. They still come in the mail. I don't know what's wrong with the record companies. They couldn't send it to me digitally, but it comes in the mail, and the mailman staggers up the drive with this giant package, and in there it says thousands and thousands and thousands of streams of everything, less than a cent, you know, not, 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 point something, end result, $17, do not pay less than 25 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's not the future of music, but it is a, it's a symptom of the past. So, in a weird way, we were talking in the green room, and I think, you know, w one reason I was excited to be on, on this panel is I think we've got, we've got some great people here, but particularly Max, at, uh, are you still 19? <laughs> I'm 21. So oh, he's 21 not now. Not too far. Yeah. Oh, maybe this too late. Oh. <laughs> but no, I mean, um, you know, uh, teaching at the University of Oregon, and, and I mentioned in a panel earlier, just as a commenter in the audience, uh, of how looking at how my students, year over year over year, when I poll them in the class, how they access music, and I, I pointed out uh, this is not a general population statistic, but it's an actual class statistic. We do a proper poll, and YouTube by far is the way they access their music, and a distant How do you second like your check from is YouTube? SoundCloud. SoundCloud. And I don't How do you know. Like your check from YouTube. How do you, no, I know, I know, no, I'm not saying, no, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, how, how are we, how are we gonna get there? Like, okay, think, so the question's around the future of music. And, okay, Max was, was talking about machine learning and how he could have written a program before we even sat down today that would, would, would create a song that would, everyone here would love. Now I believe him 100%. The problem we have is a whole bunch of creators have created, and there's this bass back catalog of music that um, we have to find a way for musicians to earn a living. I learned very, very quickly that I couldn't make a living from my royalties and jumped into, you know, well, a passionate thing. Digital strategy was very interesting to me. And uh, I enjoy being paid for that. And I enjoy, uh, you know, I enjoy receiving the checks I receive, but they're not as huge as they used to be. So question for Mal Malta. Do you see, you know, you're at a streaming service. Five years from now, do you see streaming as a mass market product? Because right now, in this room, we are all familiar with it, but most people are not familiar with the notion of a subscription service. Uh, yeah. Well, it better be, first of all, but, uh, <laughs> and yes, I also believe that. It's, it can, it can, we can't disappear. Can you, we can't imagine going back to a world without 
unlimited access to an essentially unlimited catalog and, and carrying a, some sort of, uh, you know, put stuff on your hard drive and then go to your car and plug in your hard drive and, and page through some MP3s and, uh, and, and, and the dashboard. That doesn't, it's not, it's not going to happen. Um, so the main the mainstreamification, if you want to call that, that that is going to happen in some way, shape, or form. I I don't know if 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 a mainstream consumer is concerned with the with the economics uh, and the, and the fairness to the musicians. Unfortunately, and my guess would be that they are not. No, they're not. Um, but as as again as as a uh, as as a guy working at a music service, we we definitely want to make sure that 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 part is uh, is done right. And and as you say, it's a it's a it's a labyrinth of uh, of deals and discussions to to be able to do this, to be able to work with uh, with artists to to remunerate them properly for for their work. Um, th th that said, I don't. Any 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 one streaming play will never will never be be valued at the same as you know one play of a song of a CD uh, and and you know ten ten songs is then or twelve songs is then the same amount of a, uh, of a CD so that those economics uh, have changed and will will also likewise never come back to the same levels so so there, that's that's a different discussion how the music landscape works with. Uh, uh, a, the same amount, or maybe a little bit smaller amount of uh, extremely uh, top-end stars, and then a, a much, much wider, uh, call it middle class. Um, and I would love to make, to be part of making that happen. We are working to 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 make uh, to make that happen. Uh, and yes, that's if not backroom deals, it's a, it's uh, a very interesting negotiations between uh, a lot of parties. And st streaming services generally have catalogs, you know. 20 million tracks is, mm. you know, I think last I, last I checked, almost everybody has the same amount. Um, is everything everywhere going to be important in the future? Or are we going to be in a world where uh, it's going to be really curated to an individual, in your opinion? I mean, you should. If you, if you look at, if you kind of look at technology throughout history, it's a lot about removing barriers in a sense that now you can compose an entire song on your laptop. You don't need to, to form a band and get the instrumentation together. And I think the same is, is true about how you're going to experience music and that uh, <clears throat> services like RDO are making it easier to get a hold of music and to consume it in the same way that, you know, the example that I've been giving is that the printing press made it easier for um, text and information to get distributed all the way to how we look at information now on the internet. In that, this the moving forward is about making music as accessible as possible. The way RDO is doing that, and whether that's you know as whether that's good for the music industry is is something that. Um, we've pointed out that the consumer doesn't care. They're going to go for the service that's going to be as, as easy as possible. I think this is why you see so many people listening to music on YouTube, simply because it is the quickest way to just go and listen to a song if you just want to hear it. Um, for, I, th I forgot. And everything <coughs> is there. So ubiquity is important. Uh, uh, ubiquity is uh, important in order to sell the product, I think. On the other hand, I don't know what YouTube stats are. Uh, how many of their videos get uh, get zero or fewer plays? I know roughly what our stats of our catalog that gets zero plays, and it's a it's a huge amount. So mm. it's it's well, we have to have it in order to first of all, there's a numbers game that that well, uh, we are all playing, but also just 
to be able to sell the product. Yeah. Well, what are you selling, though? The access to exactly. most recorded music. Right. So, um, I mean, that's the issue, isn't it? it? It's like the sale really occurs between the audios of the world and the labels with the catalog, and it does not extend to a sale to the end user, the music fan. Um, I don't believe, um, you know, when um, Spotify says, well, everyone should be in Spotify because uh, everyone will buy by the album that they discover from artists that they'd never heard of before. Well, I kind of call BS on that. It's like, why would you buy it when you can just stream it in Spotify? Um, and I know, just anecdotally, I have three college-age kids who listen away, listen away. I mean, you know, like, I'm waiting for Comcast to shut me down for all the broadband access of all this music that they're streaming. And I think, you know, uh, I brought up in a, in, in a comment in a panel earlier this morning is like, uh, we've got to be really careful. Let, let's try and I'd like to think that on this panel we can get beyond talking about the music industry as it exists today. And really, if it's about the future, which is difficult to parse, and I'm not going to pretend I know what's going to happen in the future, but you know, we have to find a way around, uh, like a question I asked at Ted Cohen's panel as well, is like, what if these barriers weren't in the way? And by barriers, I mean this access to the catalogs that the major labels and publishers set up um, in wanting to have a deal with RDO or Spotify or whatever the next in, you know, streaming thing is, um, where the labels actually get a piece of the action and the, the, the musicians don't get paid. Now, we also have to try and take the, the discussion away from musicians being paid because we have to ask ourselves some very hard questions is, is that an issue? Like, we already know young people access music for free and that's not their fault. If you actually look at the systems that are in place that are free, so Facebook, Gmail, you know, the list just goes on and on and on and on. Why would we expect them not to access music for free? Um, so, having said that, it's like, what do we do? You know, um, like you, you, you found a way to sell music with your Bjork program, which I really liked, and don't be shy about that. You should you know, tell us. I, I, I think um, a lot of it is more not changing you know, how are we going to charge and monetize music? A lot of it, <clears throat> if you look at it kind of naturally, is people are just publishing their own music for free. Um, services like SoundCloud, you'll find um, very talented musicians and producers that publish their music for free because if they were to sign through a label or some entity and it goes on something like Beatport, it's like their audience is much smaller. And with, you know, so many different artists out there, you're kind of fighting saturation you're trying to make a bigger impact not necessarily even sell songs as, as when you first start and so I mean the future of it I think is a lot of like you'll start to see labels and and these big entities kind of either disappear or change into entities that orchestrate things like tours and less about you know how we actually receive and consume music Although I mean that's not what and that's not what everyone wants to hear. Everyone wants to hear that there's some new solution yeah, to monetize. That, I, but I agree, Max. I think that um, is this on now. I I, I think that um, um, you are saying what people want to hear, and I think really what we're trying to get out of this panel is more than that. Like what 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 can we do to foment change? Um, 
I've said before, I, I, I always thought that uh, the streaming, you know, I sort of questioned technologists when they came up with the idea of streaming music as sort of an intellectual failure. That 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 didn't move the needle. It's just now we have access to every single catalog that every major label has, and now we have multiple streaming services, which is is fine. You know, uh, when musicians complain to me about not being paid, I'll say to them, "Do you use Spotify?" And they say yes. I said, well, then you're part of the problem. You know, it's a bit like saying Google is killing off everything. It's like, well, do you search on Google? You know, you're looking for products. You know, Google's not killing anything. They're only re reacting to, to human needs uh, when they're on the web. So we've got that challenge, too. It's like, where, how? I mean, as a software engineer, my job is basically to put other people out of work. I, I make programs that do jobs that people get paid for. And I think that that's that's similar to what's happening now. Is like even like when books be, like became created with printing presses, you you know you threw people out of jobs that that hand copied every book. And I think it's a matter of you know the industry is going to have to find a new way to monetize. We can't kind of change technology to to I, fit I, the old way. You know what, uh, Max? Yeah, I didn't lead you into that, and I think that's a very astute insight. But it also something I I was just researching this morning about. You know, in the past. So Upton Sinclair, the author, uh, famously, one of his famous quotes is, it is difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends upon his not understanding it. And, you know, we are seeing that. Um, and then, you know, I could go to Max Planck that I, I talked about this morning, a theoretical German uh, physicist talking about uh, this, you know, generations only move from, we, we said this in the green room, from um, <clears throat> funeral to funeral. You know, as, as the old systems die out, then new things arise and then we live within it and we're seeing people of Max's generation and only slightly older have grown up in this, the accessing of music and the fact that you can supply it, which is awesome because you have a deal with labels. Uh, now we're we're stuck with this, here we are with all these uh, young people wanting music for free. So we're, we're going to keep going round and round on this if we don't. <laughs> and I'll, I'll stop talking about it now. I'm not going to ever mention that again during the next half hour. But um, it's still an issue that uh, we can't resolve, I think. I may be wrong. Do you, what do you think, Walter? Um, I, I come at it from a more uh, uh, product-oriented or practical standpoint where the, the short comings I see of, of uh, our product and, and other products in there is there's still too much. I still need to use um, several, uh, call it apps or, or, or sites or, or things in order to get my, my music fix on any given week. Any given day, I maybe only use audio, but any given week, I probably also use uh, SoundCloud or, uh, or happen to put on uh, Pandora. And I think without uh, necessarily or at all killing off those kind of things, I think there's still well, someone, maybe us, or maybe someone else, needs to find a way where where it's a it's, it's even more unified. Uh, it's an even more unified experience. Um, and I also think the 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 holy, ah, well, th those are big words. The the really important missing piece uh, of of the product offering so far is is a is is a genuine and real combination of on demand. And and uh, lean back listening. Uh, forget about the business models, uh, but the same product being able to offer uh, 
quality or first-rate on-demand experience and a first-rate radio experience. We, we can, again, we can couple those things together. Uh, and we can couple things together with a bunch of unlicensed stuff over on SoundCloud and, and an uh, ad-supported radio on Pandora and, a, and an on-demand ad-free thing on your, on your phone with audio. But there has to be there has to be a better way, um, and that I'm not those are not uh, those are not techno technological uh, leaps by any any sort of means. But I think that's that's a natural, uh, steady progression evolution of of the product landscape. And that's maybe not super exciting, but I think it that also that will help the the mainstreamification. Which I'm sorry for saying that word. It sounds terrible, but. Uh, <laughs> uh, of, of, of normal uh, human beings who don't care, who don't have time in their life to jump between apps with weird names to, uh, uh, to listen to music and don't, have, don't walk around with, uh, with uh, ear pods um, listening to music. They want uh, to, say again? They're called robots. Yes. Um, uh, they, want, they want a device in their home that, just, that is the, 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 the uh, analogy to um, an old fashioned FM radio, but that works with the technology, the 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 the, the music landscape that is available today. Again, radio on demand and unlicensed stuff, uh, and all of us in this room probably need to work better and harder at making that happen before before we can see an actual yeah. I mean, just very quickly, is that from research that people actually want that? No. Okay. I'm, I'm on a little trip today to make sure nothing leaves the room by Twitter that isn't substantiated. <coughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I'm joking. You are, of you course, <laughs> on your quote bank, there's the Henry, uh, uh, what's his face, Henry Ford and the Faster Horse quote, right? right? Oh. So, no, sure, you can you can research your way to a lot of things. I, I don't think that's it's, my job is not to be a, a, a panel mo a panel moderator or for. Uh, um, um, a moderator for, for research, I have to think of things and, and build them because I believe in them. Uh, and then they can... And then they get... Yeah, yeah. They, I mean, then they can fall on their ass or not. I mean, my role is, is strategy and research, so it's, I always want to see what the uh -huh. users uh, trying to get at, you know. So uh, in the green room, we were talking about uh, curation and meaningful, meaningful crea uh, curation in the future. So uh, right now, you have a number of different services and sites um, you know, that are trying to uh, connect people with artists and what an artist is interested in listening to, uh, social networks so you can you know, see what your friends are listening to. Um, is that a meaningful experience? And in the future, is individual or artist curation important, or is it going to be uh, Max, as you had mentioned, something a lot more uh, uh, mechanical. Oh, um, I guess just to elaborate on uh, what we were sort of mentioning is that <clears throat> my idea of the future of music curation is is based on this idea that there's there's more. I mean, this I don't know, like don't call me on this, but I, but I would assume there's there's more music uploaded to the internet every day than you could listen to like in your entire life. And, it, and if it's not, it's very close. It's, it's the point where there is so much new content that's easily available that there needs to be something that can go through it. And a lot of uh, music recommendation or curation today is, is based on very shallow recommendation, um, not to bag on any, but, but things like Pandora and, um, and Spotify Radio are based on quality, or I guess Pandora specifically is based on qualities of the music, like female vocals and certain types of drums. And these aren't qualities that actually determine whether you 
enjoy the music like that those aren't the reasons about why your brain enjoys that particular song um but to keep from going on a tangent i see the future is more of building systems that can curate this music down to what you personally would enjoy and that if if there's tons of music being uploaded to the internet like each person is going to enjoy different parts of it and making something that can curate that because it's it's beyond what a single person can do now um is going to be very important Um, is, I'd, be, I'd be happy to talk about it afterwards just because it gets a little technical, but um, there's a lot of, there are a lot of different ways um, in machine learning to do that based on uh, building patterns. Like uh, you can do everything from, fa like you can do a fast Fourier transform on the music and actually get, uh, th this is going to get too technical, but, um, but there, are, there are very interesting ways of doing it. Without record labels uh, to curate, how are people going to find it? Like you said, there's more music than anyone can ever listen to in a lifetime. But if somebody doesn't choose it, curate it, sign the artists. Self-produced music is not traditionally very well-received or profitable. I mean, I, I completely agree. I feel like originally labels were looked to as sources for good music. I mean, now people don't really buy music from particular labels because of the name of the label, whereas before it was a lot based on like whoever was running that label's roster had a good sense of well, musical taste. Whoever did that before still do that today. There's yeah. No, again, there's no human being who knows the name of a single label here. Well, of well, course you guys, but normal on. human beings, <laughs> normal on the outside. But yeah, so, uh, so what right. I'm saying is, um, is that building a service that knows the music you like, that can learn your tastes and then recommend from this ecosystem, if it was good enough, I would imagine it, was, it would be something you would trust like you would a label. I think that, uh, can I just respond to the, 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 the one word in your question that worries me is traditionally. You know, we keep looking at that as this is how it used to be. And I'm not convinced since the late 70s that record labels were curating music. When you look at the reason we signed to Warner Brothers back in 1979 is because they signed artists like Neil Young and Van Morrison. They weren't looking to sign artists that were going to be Beyonce-style billion-dollar sellers. And so we have to accept that the, the bell curve, the fake bell curve of the music industry in the late 80s and 90s, when they introduced the CD, which, by the way, musicians were never consulted over. Or do you want a technology that makes music sound worse than it used to on vinyl? Then they sold everyone what? the catalogs back again. What? Oh, please. And then, you know, um, you, you get to this point where we can't look at tradition anymore and we can't delude ourselves that um, we're... we're so far. What do you mean? I, I, if you want to interrupt me, that's fine. But if you let me finish my point, that's great. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's, yeah. Well, I've totally lost my thread, so why don't you take over? Uh, Glenn Allen Howard from the American Musical Heritage Foundation Museum. There's 250,000 LPs, 4578s, and cylinders. And that's a good start. I've been doing this since I was 12 years old. And it's, uh, uh, you can't digitize what you don't have. And America has a 120-year history of recorded sound on top of all the stuff that's coming out from all the time, and it's all valid, but this future is going to split off mostly in the direction you guys are going, but vinyl's back. 
There are young people collecting records big time. There are bands that are selling vinyl, and the vinyl's outselling the CDs and stuff by triple, quarter times. And uh, uh, it's bad. It sounds better. It's yes. It's more yeah. We, I think, we agree a hundred percent on that. <laughs> Thank you. I'm actually, I'm gonna Thank you, Glenn. I want to get back really, to really, really quickly. Um, I'm just gonna call. Going back to. Um, yes, um, getting, going back to where we. Thank you very much, though, and and a job well done, by the way. I'm I'm not critical of that. No, no, no. I'm saying vinyl is better than CD. I think we agree completely. Vinyl today is made from digital copies of music. It can't sound any better than your digital copy. No, 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 no. Vinyl today, modern vinyl, is made from digital copies. All right, never mind. Thank you. But going back to Max's point, uh, uh, in defense of what Max is saying about you know these, the, the way the search engines work and, and try and get you to the right music and so on, you don't have to like wearing vests to like Mumford and Sons. It helps though. It might help, but my God. Something you want to tell us? <laughs> I'm trying to say I don't like Mumford and Sons. Yeah. Brilliant. I know. There's, there's not a, there's not a, uh, I, I don't at all believe that now, today, unlike all the other times, now we can build an extra special computer that can do all the, all the music stuff for us. I don't buy that at all. I'm sure that, I'm sure that there is a, a, a portion of the filtering, or, or again, a, a certain, certain amounts of your, your listening that'll be based on computer, computer originated uh, playlists. But people, I subscribe to the fact that it has to be uh, powered by people in some way, shape, or form. Uh, we're doing it in one form, other people are, are doing it in other forms, but that has to be, that's the only, um, that's the only way for me to, to, to get the soul and the serendipity into, into it, because I, I agree, that's, um, that's, that's where the real magic is. So, uh, I have one point uh, I want to make, and uh, I think the whole panel kind of went off the, the brink, because I was here to, to listen to how you're going to experience music in the future, right? Now, Kristen there on the end, I'm a massive Sonos believer. I love it. You know, and vinyl, fuck it, it's gone. Right? Same with CDs, anything else, right? Gone away. Spin, spin. Right? It, it has. It's gone away. This is the future. All right? Okay. The other thing, the other thing too, is, right, I, I actually pay more for music now than I did when I was a senior vice president at Sony Music, right? I have two cars with Sirius in it, right? I have Rhapsody. I have Spotify, right? And then I have the pleasure of, like, I can go. listen to the BBC Six whenever I want to. I can listen to Triple J Radio. And I don't have to worry about putting some dumbass canister on, right? So anyways, my point being is, I think it's never been a better time for music. And the funny thing is, I think the worst thing that people do right now is sit there and they go, oh, it's terrible. Everything's fucking terrible. It's terrible. It's funny, the la I was at this great conference in the UK for the Association of Independent Music. And it was brilliant because the little indie labels, like Play It Again, Sam, C2, and all that, were up in the front with YouTube going, this is our second source of revenue. We're making a ton of money here. And this whole thing of it like being like, everybody's in this room like, oh, traditional, all this, fuck it, it's over. 
right? We're in a new thing now. And you either embrace it or you're fucking just, you know, go out and, uh, you know, wherever you are from, you know, and uh, 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 play, uh, you know, uh, be a, you know, write a Bible or something. But right. it's like, you know, it's changed. And that's Vince, it. Vince. That's reality. Sorry. No, Vince, Vince, Vince. Yeah. Whoa. Okay, well, this is Panel's over. <laughs> we can all leave now. <laughs> Wow. Vince has uh, brought us to the future of music. Yes. Um, it's most definitely the most interesting panel that I've uh, been on Well, today. this is what's good about uh, it. Give this man a microphone, and uh, maybe he's yeah, going to tear down everything as well. A, we've got a huge audience. Let's let's open this up to, yeah. to questions now. Yeah. I'm sure there are a lot of good ones. I actually don't have a question either, but... Oh. <laughs> uh, that was a dramatic pause. I, Mal touched on it closest, I think, in that a lot of the problems that I'm seeing, at least something that's not being said, is how we can create a platform that caters to both artists and the consumers and not just the consumers. The thing that I've been hearing most about this is Daisy, what Trent Reznor's doing with, uh, with Dre. Ian and those guys yeah. and Dre. Yeah. But that's, that's who's gonna win. Live music is always the biggest thing, but it's how can we create a platform that serves all, right. all of those pieces, not just streaming, but also you know, live music, that experience, and everything that's going on with technology right now. I, I, I love Ian. Uh, I think he's always been a great champion of, of, of digital music. You know, when he was at Yahoo, he actually, I, I believe he built my first um, independent label website back in 1993 when I was associated with Gold Mountain, the Beastie Boys, and, and all, all those great bands. Um, I don't know why you could say Daisy is going to win. I, well, that kind of thing. Oh, that kind of thing. I just mean that mindset where we're yes. talking okay. about catering to the artists and not just the consumer. Obviously, when, when all the consumers find this platform, the artists are going to go to it because that's all that they know. But someone needs to come out with something that's going to... That they're not just making on money on licensing. Why can't they leverage all these other pieces that involve the live music experience, that involve ticket sales, that everything is so fragmented and like you said, Mal, it's about trying to figure out how we can bring that together in a cohesive way without well, uh, I being think I, too overwhelming. Okay, just to try and stay focused on your question is you have to invite the representatives of the musicians to the table to also be part of the conversation. That's all. Um, you know, it's it's just very simple. You know, we're never part of the conversation around a financial transaction. So we only get given what we get given, such as the CD. Right, well, no one asked us if we wanted to have something that had room That's for 70 minutes of music on it. That's a different sort of problem, which I think we've—it's uh, also covered many times before. It's a—it's a very unequal f fight. Y mm -hmm. You in 1978, and you and your buddies against the uh, the legal group of Warner Music. That's—that's that's yeah. no match, right? right? That's. But you signed. Yes. Unfortunately, well, or fortunately, or whatever. So. The, yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah. that discussion. My history there, though, is is we had a great lawyer, and we we created production agreements, uh, you know, and licensed our product oh, yeah, to but the labels. Writ but, large, right? But that was then, you know. I mean, right now, um, I have, um, I'm not really in the music business at all. I mean, other than receiving paltry checks from American labels. So I'm interested in the question back. What's your chain of logic? I I think I sort of agree with you. Well, what's your chain of logic? Because we make it better for artists, consumers will. Will claim that that's the winner. Then it is just going to be on the better artists are going to want to get more involved in the experience if they're benefiting. Uh huh. So they're going to offer more access to the end user, to the consumer. If you're making money off something and and you're not just you don't you're not just putting it out there, people aren't just streaming it. If you're actually making money, if you're able to sell merchandise, if you're able to offer you know 
merchandise that they wouldn't be able to get at a show that they can get through this one platform that they're using. Yeah, I agree. So uh, advertising alert. Audio has an artist program that pays artists for, for driving subscribers to Audio. Instead of selling an album, they can quote unquote sell a subscriber to us. We pay them 10 bucks. All right, we That's have another, another question here. Question for the panel. Actually, a few. Hopefully, I can put this all into one. Basically, the relationship between the fans and the artists, what is the importance of that in the future? What's the role of the fans in the future in the music industry? And how are we going to bridge the gap between the two? And is that important? I think it depends a lot on the artists. If you look at Kanye West versus like Lady Gaga, for example, um, they both have a lot of fans, and Kanye West doesn't. I don't. I don't think he very like has this deep relationship with his fans. Like people probably reply to him on Twitter all the time, and it's kind of once it's this one-sided relationship. Whereas if you look at somebody like Lady Gaga, with you know she has this almost I don't want to say it, but like almost like cult following of, of fans that use her. A social network and she talks to them she communicates with them directly there's this deep engagement and I think it depends a lot on um, how f you know how willing the artist is to to be involved in something like that and at the same time I think it's 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 very stressful to keep up that relationship it's it's there's so many people and uh, and you're kind of always in acquaintance with all of them I mean I would say personally when I like when I listen to music, that I feel like my connection to the artist comes directly from the music, not the relationship with them. In fact, most of the time when I've interacted with an artist, you know, they, they have no idea who I am, but I've had, I feel like I have this deep connection with them that when I get this kind of like white wall sort of, like, like when you meet somebody for the first time, it's, it's almost like having your best friend like just pretend like they don't know you kind of thing. And it's like any time I've interacted with an artist and you realize that that kind of deep connection you think you have isn't actually that real. Um, it, it's, it's actually killed music for me quite a bit. Like I, I almost kind of refuse to meet artists that I'm a big fan of because it, it ruins it. So, you realize they're so, not as great as... So as I, I, I do want to bring up something that we talked yeah. about in, in the green room, which was really interesting. Um, and talk about the future of music and the experience. Let's talk about the creation of it. Um, and one of the notions that came up is that um, music won't necessarily be created by people in the future. Well, before, before <laughs> Max answers this, because um, Max should answer this, and, yeah. and um, I should what? Well, not you. Oh, yeah. So, no, we're going to get there. All right. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I want to go back to what we just said there about, you know, Max's relationship to music before we, we, we lose that thread. Um, I have no idea why musicians are using social media. You know, I always thought when I joined a band, it was to horrify my parents and the neighbors and everyone else on earth and not talk to a fan. Now, I'm not saying we were snobbish, but... You know, if people came backstage after a particularly amazing show like we did here in San Francisco at the Johns Temple in 1978 with the Buzzcocks who was there, none of you, okay? So um, it was, you know, Andy was, was collapsing, uh, our guitarist was collapsing because he had, uh, he'd lost his inhaler and he had an asthma attack and we went back out on stage and said, anyone here got an asthma inhaler? We were pounded with asthma inhalers. I don't know what's wrong with San Francisco's health. <coughs> um, but, 
The idea of me telling anybody about my band, even today, outside of the, the people who come up to me at a conference like this and say, love your music, thank you, blah, 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 is like all the mystery. Who wants to look behind the curtain all the time? It isn't, you know, particularly rock music. Um, they, you didn't want to know how we lived and what we did and how we fought all the time over, you know, a particular verse, chorus, bridge thing, you know. It just seems to me that we've completely devalued the relationship between the music and the fan that way. And I fully understand what Max said there. You know, my relationship to music is, is very much the same. I'm a huge fan of Burial in London, and nobody even knows who Burial is. Oh, you do? This guy. It's a guy. That guy. Yeah, you're Banksy. Now I'm looking for Burial. Uh, you know, it, it's like, it's awesome. Uh, it's just amazing music that I feel I have a, a very strong relationship to. So, uh, anyway, so now we can go on to the um, technology yeah, so making. Yeah, I, d I do want to talk a little bit about the notion that, that technology will actually create music. And, you know, uh, if you can explain a little bit about that, I've, I do have some questions just about sure. the... the Ability for technology to, uh, you know, create an emotional connection with an individual. Oh, definitely. Um, and I'm sure there are going to be plenty of people who disagree with me. But there's, uh, I think there's this idea that you know, music has this emotional impact, and it's something we connect to the people who compose it. But uh, but if you if you look at music throughout history. They follow, you know, very standard kind of music theory sort of practices, like the same songs you hear from the Beatles and Radiohead and probably even Kanye West. Um, kind of use the same rules all the way back to Bach, and it's and it's interesting to the point where, you know, it's possible to make software that can compose the notes. Um, we have software that can emulate strings, but just about any instrument you would ever want, but and to the point where no one can really tell the difference. Um, like you, you, you sort of have all of the ingredients to make software that can compose music, and the but the point I was making in the green room was that people are working on making systems that can recommend music, and if you imagine, you know, in in the future, if you have a system that can curate all of the music that's uploaded to the internet and find the best music for you, is it really that far fetched to say? To have, to have that same system just compose music that's good for you to the point where it's, it's composing music that it knows your brain will enjoy listening to and, and sort of what are the ramifications of that? If, if that is the case, if you could have a computer that can compose music that is a thousand times better than anything you listen to today because it's made just for you. Yeah, this guy's losing it. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> then, uh, but but if, if that were the case, I have to go there. like what, um, how, how, big of an impact that would have on just the music industry. You couldn't listen to music with friends because it wouldn't be as good for them. And, you know, a lot of people think that that's crazy. But if, if you really look at how music is composed by the producers who make pop music and, and all the different artists, it's, 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 you know, very predictable. You know, if that was true, then every A&R vice president at every label would have 10 hits a day because they would have figured it out, right? I mean, because there's like 20 producers that make most of the music. I understand. Under Listen, like I'm the mother of a major label recording artist, worldwide okay. famous, so I know a little something about that. Your analogy with the printing press is is interesting because you left out saying, you know, my job is to put people out of work, but you're leaving out the most important element, which is the create. It's not emulate, it's create. So artists 
all artists have to create. And they do something a little different than the rest of us do. I know I raised one. So it's different than what you're talking about. I think synthesizer music or elevator music or computer-generated music has its place. Cool. In the spa, whatever. <laughs> but you're, you're, you're also missing something very important, which is the stuff that great music is made of is not visible. It's not tangible, it's not digital, and it's not analog. It's something else. It's an international music, or it's an international connection, or we wouldn't all be so crazy about it. So there's an intangible thing that I think technology can support, but I don't think it can replace. Well, so I guess think of it this way, that if a, if a person composes a song that you find is very moving, and I, you know, I turn that into an MP3, when I listen to that MP3, that computer is generating all of the sound that is very emotional for me. Like once the artist has created the piece, it's done. They're, every time I listen to it, they have no influence. And I don't think it's very far-fetched to say that you, know, you can represent that emotion in a digital form and that it is just a song file at that point. Yeah, but it hits your ear in a, the exact same way. All right, all right, we've got yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry. question. Can I, um, in, in, in defense of Max's position somewhat, is like, look, uh, your uh, daughter or son, you didn't daughter, um, <clears throat> like any creative person can create. We're not saying that that's going away ever. What we're talking about is systems, really. And if she wants to be on a, a major label, that's fine. We're not saying that shouldn't happen either. What we're trying to talk about here, actually, I just read a tweet from someone in this room who said that this panel is the most engaging panel at San Fran Music Tech, but it lacks the information required. Perhaps that's a response to the title of this panel. We're trying to talk about the future of music. It's very difficult. Yeah. And we're not talking about the past. I mean, look, Max said what he was trying to say to you very clearly is, Every time the music hits your ear, it, hi it hits it in the same way. What you're reacting to there is true. Then each time you hear that song that is received the same way, as always, you then inter internalize and, and you emotionalize. And, and yes, the, the song will change every single time. And it, it's also context, too. You, know? um, you might be at a concert and hear that song. You might be in your living room on your own, and it brings tears to your eyes. That's awesome. But that doesn't mean that what Max is saying cannot be true also. Yeah. All right, we've got another question in the back. Um, hopefully, my comment will bring a little um, credibility to this engaging <laughs> panel. But I read that um, in the book, This Is Your Brain on Music, um, which, is in, which is a great way to understand your own, the way your brain works through the medium of music. That, um, that uh, you're... Um, the way that you process music has a very, obviously has a very emotional um, capacity to it. And when um, when you can hear a human play it, your brain doesn't have the same, emo doesn't have the same response as when um, a computer, um, you know, takes in all of the data points and reflects it note by note, sensitivity, all that kind of stuff. And yet um, it, it doesn't supply the same sort of, um, ephemeral, you know, beautiful kind of reaction the way that a human does. And that might have just been a response to um, 
to you know the the how how much capacity and how much processing computers at the time when the book was written um, could reflect that, and maybe now they you know they do have that capacity. But how do you feel given you know um, I guess given that little tidbit of information? I mean, I, I know I know the part you're referring to, and and it is based on like computers of that time in that it the music that they were listening to sounds almost sort of robotic, but it also sounds very synthetic. Whereas um, a point I'd like to stress is that like this music that would be generated would sound like like it would be like a real piano. It's not like it sounds like electronic music. It sounds just as real as the music you would hear today, and. Um, and and it all goes back to the fact that it, it hits your ear the same way, whether a person created this file or a computer. I think it's just, um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Uh, I guess what I was just saying is that technology today allows you to compose. I can compose a piano piece on my computer and have it played back with real samples of a piano that, and it's, it's a computer that models the room the piano is in. And it sounds, it's completely indistinguishable from playing the real piano in the room. It's, I think the techno, hmm? well, so that's what I'm saying is I can, I can type these chords into a computer. Yeah, but so, but I can make a program that types those chords into the in in as well. Let's uh, take another question. Yeah. Well, actually, I agree with um, these two people because if you consider music experience as you know, sitting in front of music service and uh, listening music, and you consider improving of the experiences, improving of the algorithms, then yeah, the ultimate goal is to create an algorithm which actually effectively writes the music for you. But it's a so small part of the music experience. And when you see somebody playing, that not only hits your ears, it also hits your emotionally through eyes, through your relation through, to people. So it's completely different experience. I completely agree that a live performance is completely different. I guess what I'm just saying now is with most music you listen to, you don't actually see anything. It's usually a friend telling you, hey, check out this artist that's on that, that I've just started listening to. There isn't actually that much of a visual component. Yeah, and actually I want to ask a question. The question is what do you think effectively about new music experiences, not about new algorithms to recommend music because it's quite well now they can they can give you only marginal improvement of experience. So what's about really new experience? What do you think? What what it can be? That's a, I mean it's a very tough one, I think. It depends a lot on the music. I don't have much experience in live performance to to touch on that. Hi, uh, I'm not sure what exactly is being advocated or I, I would stipulate that there are probably people alive today that are qualified to write Beethoven's 10th Symphony or a band could come along and do a new Beatles album and probably convince the majority of people that it was appropriate, but you've kind of ripped music out of context. So let's say that there's a computer smart enough that with algorithms or whatever, sometime down the future, that it could write the 10th symphony and be credible. What's the point? I mean, what difference does it make? You're, you're pulling art out of a context of human experience. So if we're on the creation side of things and we're talking about the future, 
you're only going to be able to learn from everything that's come before and emulate something. So you'll be able to recreate something that has already existed in history, but you're not going to be able to start something new because you're at that point separating art and music making from human experience. And it's, it's as if these things are just technological and not connected to human reality so uh, I mean the original point was that if you could have a computer that could compose music that's real enough that you could enjoy it like you enjoy real music it would compose it specifically for you in that songs right now are kind of this greatest common denominator of what everyone or large groups of people enjoy but there might be particular styles of music that you know maybe 10 people in the world enjoy because of some specific upbringing or something like that and the I guess the idea is I believe that there's a point in the future where computers could create music that is more satisfying for one person than anybody in the world could like compose like based on their prior history with yeah, their experience with music. So you're going to give person. them you're going to give them something that the technology can only understand based on their previous experience but you're not you're not presenting them the opportunity for a new experience that they haven't encountered yet because you don't well, you don't know what will appeal to them as an evolving human being right i i mean you don't know what the next step for them is we all everyone here in this room has had their own personal journey with discovering music in their life i, mean, I, I would say you could take it as far as modeling you know the neurons in their brain to the point where you could compose music and say this is exactly how you will enjoy it and you could compose new music for them like it, it's there's it's kind of like limitless in that you can you can hit a point where you could compose music because you know how it's going to hit their ear and process into their brain and be satisfying almost to the point well, where it's, well, well, what would it hit me when i was 15 and you knew well, it would definitely be based on that later, time you gave me something that fired all the neurons in my brain couldn't account for what happened when i was 16 or when i was 19 or 22 it's it's very moment, situational but, but to, to have this to have this conversation you have to cross the plane and say that software engineers are artists too if someone were to actually create Thank something, Thank that, what I don't understand is, I know everyone's emotional and passionate about because this is music, but I work in technology and I've been making music for you know 20 years. Mm -hmm. If someone were to actually pull off what Max is talking about yeah. and hit someone on a gut level, well, thank you. You're pushing things forward. People should do it. And, and thank I don't you. be scared of it. This is happening. It's going to happen. It doesn't mean I can't play anymore. Okay, uh, thank you very much for that, because uh, I, I was feeling Max's pain for a while there, but look, um, <laughs> I also am very pained. I want to switch this to my day job as a digital brand strategist. It's very difficult to get people to understand when they're copywriters and, and film directors and, you know, they build ads. That when I talk about how software uh, developers are the new narrators, the new copyright writers, they just freak out. Because what we're, what we're talking about is disruption in an entire industry. And what I sense in this room is we all have to accept, whether you want to or not, that the internet arrived and disrupted business and culture and society. And it's destroying businesses as it moves because it never sleeps awake 24 hours a day moving forward. Web companies by default go away. Let's not forget America Online. Let's not forget Friendster. When I talk to my students about when Facebook goes away, they audibly gasp because they have no idea that it's a web company. Maybe it'll become a data company. Who knows, but it might not be the same company that you're seeing today. So what we got here is Max is talking about disruption in music technology, which, if you like, could be the future of music. You don't have to accept that, but we do have to accept that technology is here today in the present 
and there are tools available to people like Max who've got obviously wonderful cognitive ideas about what to make of music. He doesn't have to, at 21 years old, he doesn't have to accept that when I played here in San Francisco in 1978 that that was anything special. He wasn't there. You know, it's all context at this point. So it's been an interesting conversation today, and I think there's still some questions to come. Okay, I know this is music tech, but I have a, <laughs> I guess I, I wanted to bring up the completely different direction that music has gone in in some communities, I guess. The Beck song reader that came out last year, like the musical community that I'm a part of in the East Bay, like that made a big splash. It's uh, it's all about like people getting involved in the music making process in in a way that's kind of, that we've kind of been cut out from for a long time, and people are hungry for that. I think. I mean, I think people are very hungry for that, and I want to know your thoughts on this kind of less technological movement happening in some circles. I mean, I think it's, yeah, I'll just touch on it for a, set, for a brief second. I think it's, it's one of those things where it is very interesting and it's, it's something people do enjoy, but I, I don't believe that will make it, make technology, like, choose not to wipe it out in a sense that, same with people who, going back to that printing press analogy, same with the people who wrote, hand wrote those books, like they took this pride in, in their calligraphy and, and so much in the book, but that's sort of gone. It's this like, you know, niche sort of art form now. And I think it's, and the same thing could potentially happen. It is something that's larger that people enjoy, but I think that's not gonna stop technology from sort of crushing it. I could see that happening a lot more though. Yeah. It's a report, I've only, briefly seen it but it looked beautiful and 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 interesting it's it's however also you know incredibly niche uh, compared to mm. everything else uh, um, so well social though I mean uh, you know it's a true social <laughs> gathering um, within a cohort which is amazing and 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 it's very very cool um, it doesn't mean again you know what Max is talking about it, it doesn't mean that these two things can't live side by side as well let's remember when when the CD was introduced that was going to be the death of vinyl and as we know from our good friend here that uh, vinyl is apparently hundred percent of all sales in America now and it, it's just like it's great you know so, it's back uh, I mean I love I love it. it didn't go away right so, yeah so we've got to we've got to wrap up um, Max wants to give us a one minute just, just really quick very just, quick just 30 second demo because of what and then we will uh, hopefully this works yeah it's also impromptu but um, I just want to play it's a small clip um, of myself very awfully playing this Bach cello prelude that I think a lot of people are familiar with and I just want you to listen to it really quickly there's more after <laughs> So, I mean, I, I would assume, I'm like, hopefully that a lot of people feel that there's that humanistic sort of emotion to that clip, that it's this live sort of cello piece. But really, that, that was actually just played by a computer program that is controlled by, like, what I'm saying is, like, we're not at that point today, but we're very close. Like, that, 
the sound of that cello, of course, you know, coming out laptop speakers is going to sound like crap, but it's much closer. Uh, all right, guys, so we, we really do need to, we're running over, so we do need to wrap it up. I really thank everybody for coming out. This was interesting. Thank you. Thank you.